0: Is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Brooke Baldwin to the show. Brooke, welcome. So thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you, Caroline. It's so nice to be here. And we're going to dive into a juicy conversation about what happens when women harness each other's power by gathering together, either in person or virtually. And you've coined this beautiful phrase, when we huddle. So Brooke, let's talk about that because women have been coming together for for generations, but what is it about the word huddle that really resonates with you? Clearly, it's the title of your book. It's a great question. Um,
1: so Huddling. Gosh, I just want to create a movement among women. This is something where I feel like we we exist in a culture where you know when one woman is very successful or, or they're prevailing over the patriarchy, our culture says you know she she's an outlier or or she's the hero. You know, our all, our culture likes likes cowboys and lone rangers and the rare woman who who rises above. But but if I may, f that. Like that's not the narrative and that is not the story that I found. In crisscrossing the country, you know, for for two years, I mean, to to write this book, you know, in the the before times, and 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 of course, also during the pandemic, because when I took a look around for my book, I discovered, you know, well-known women, famous women, and also what I lovingly call extraordinary ordinary women, and I just discovered that successful women are not outliers; they're they're huddlers, and they know they have the secret sauce to unlock. The power within one another to to build structures to allow them to have more power to to share the wealth to throw down their ladders and to to just make sure we're all successful as we walk through the walk through the world.
0: I love that, and I, I particularly love the phrase "extraordinary ordinary women." Right, that that resonates with with so many. You know, when I was doing my research about your book, uh, there was a, a beautiful phrase in your press kit talking about how. The 2017 coverage of that presidential inauguration and the historic Women's March on D.C. was really a catalyst for this book. And that experience changed your perspective and answered the question, look what happens when women huddle. Was that a a defining factor for, wow, this is a game changer for me and how I want to focus my my career? Totally. It was my... It it was one of many on a long list of
1: Eureka moments, but it was, it really was my Eureka moment. You know, you think about someone like me. So, so I grew up in Atlanta. I was always a girl's girl. I led the girls, you know, I did everything girls could possibly do in the eighties. Right. And I, and I loved it. And then all of a sudden I jump into this profession after leaving journalism school in Chapel Hill in 2001, where I jump into journalism and I'm fulfilling my dream and all of a sudden it's like record scratch where I, you know, realize I picked this profession where I am surrounded by men, you know, in most of my jobs, I worked all through local news to, to ultimately, you know, find my dream here at CNN. But you know, my, my bosses have been men, the biggest stars, the best paid anchors at most places are men here at CNN for a decade. My executive producer was a man, the person overseeing CNN dayside is a man I sit in the chair and cover the most, most powerful men in this country. Like you sense a theme here. And so all of a sudden I found myself for CNN, you know, covering this presidential election in 2016, I'm crisscrossing the country and my spidey sense is telling me, wow, you know, women are showing up in a way I had never personally seen in my career so I'm thrust, Caroline. You know the, the the weekend, January 2017. Literally one day, I am balancing on the back of this flatbed truck, embedded in the Trump inauguration motorcade, as he is, you know, making his way to the White House for the first time. And and as a woman, right? And and only very recently did we discover the the audio of him, you know, bragging about grabbing women in places where no man should grab women. And then the very next day, I'm in, in the middle of a Women's March, and I'm looking at these thousands of women. And I see women showing up for, for one another in this, what I'm calling a, a massive huddle. And I was there covering it, but I was thinking, you know, gosh, if I wasn't reporting on this extraordinary day, would I have attended this March, who would I've attended it with, you know, would I have had a huddle to, you know, share that take a gas or stand in those long porta potty lines? And 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 at the time, I I didn't have a huddle. And so that was my real aha moment. And that was the sort of unofficial beginning of my journey to write this book and also find my own huddle and and bring real intentionality to it. And I just want to urge women reading this book to, to do the same.
0: I love it. And, you know, I, I just hear you describing that. It's this visceral, palpable emotion of what brings women together. But you write beautifully, too, about how we need to talk about race when it comes to huddles. And you found out that Black women have been huddling for a good long time. Tell, tell us more about that. Is that community much more unified in how they come together to raise their voices, for example? Yes
1: listen, as a white woman in this country, number one, I, I just want to check my privilege. And and this is obviously my own experience. And so I wanted to make sure I was educating myself on huddling and specifically within um, you know, the, the BIPOC community. And I talked to this Black historian, Kimberly Springer, and she talked to me about how Black women didn't have this same, quote, huddle drought, as I discovered from this other women's studies professor, as white women have for the last couple of decades. And so, she emphasized to me how Black women huddling, it's its in their bones. It's in their DNA. It, it predates slavery. K- Kimberly said to me that that Black women have been huddling for generations. And she said that they have done so not only out of necessity, right? Because during slavery, it's like that's all they had, but also out of this genuine love and affection and respect for one another. And then you know, you cut to the 1980s, and these critical black women huddles formed the the black women's health imperative, the the womanist uh, movement, the links organization, the African American women in defense of ourselves, and that that sprang out of you know all the women coming together and protesting how Anita Hill was treated in in those Clarence Thomas hearings, and also that the Million Women's March in Philadelphia in 1997. So, I educated myself and I want to educate the reader on the rich history of huddling among black women. And, and also I'll add, I'll add this, you know, I'm no historian, but what I do know from research for this book is that white women huddled to fight for their rights and left black women out, you know, Mm -hmm. black women got abandoned as they were all fighting for the right to vote a hundred years ago. And black women only won that 50 years later. And then you think forward to the civil rights movement and the feminist movement. And there's been this slow reckoning among white women that to quote the great Fannie Lou Hamer, nobody's free until everybody's free. And so just, I, I want to make this point as I talk about my book that I know that huddles need to become much more intersectional and, and they have in recent years, but we will never all be able to be equal unless I, as a white woman in building my own table, pull out chairs for women who don't look like me.
0: Good segue on chairs. So, you know, we've, we've talked <laughs> a long time about bringing more seats to the table yeah. when it comes to gender equity at work, for example, but... You argue that that women are, are now huddling to build an entirely new table, right? Forget the chair, forget the table. Let's just have a brand new conversation. Tell me more.
1: The perfect example is I went out to Los Angeles and got this amazing access to Hello Sunshine. Hello Sunshine is Reese Witherspoon's production company. She poured her own money into it, and you know she 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 told me in back and forth emails about how you know it was it was terrifying right years ago to be doing this, but she believes in women, and Sarah Hardin is her partner and the CEO, and so they just opened up um, this company to me, and the, their whole notion is that. Women need to be the center of the story. So for Hello Sunshine, it means literally the protagonists in the uh, women authored books that Reese and her company will option to create into film and television. Uh, They gave me access to what I refer to as a unicorn scenario, an all-woman writer's room in Hollywood. P.S. That never happens. And so Little Fires Everywhere, that beautiful book by Celeste Ng, the protagonists are women and they are mothers. And these are the kinds of stories that Hello Sunshine is really supporting and telling. And not only that, but you know, behind the scenes, women run the company. And so that is the perfect example. And, and the book clubs and, and creating these huddles of book clubs, especially in a pandemic when we just, we can't reach out and touch one another, but we can through the, the written word. And that is the embodiment of, you know, building an
0: entirely new table. Beautifully put. Brooke, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at DoubtHiggins.com. So have you had... Personal experiences, Brooke. Clearly, you, you described earlier in um, the inauguration in 2017 with Trump, but on a, a different level, right? Perhaps, perhaps it was something professionally that you were you were covering in journalism or other areas of life, huddles that that you just got so excited about and participated in, and, and might want to share. Yeah, I mean, I think it you know, the, the question is
1: like, why am I the person to be writing this book, right? Like, why should I listen to Brooke Baldwin about how the, the, the power of the, the, you know, collective of women? And it's a great question. And so for me, um, the biggest compliment I've ever been given in life is that I'm a woman's woman. And as I mentioned before, you know, in, in girlhood, I had, I was part of so many huddles. I was blessed. I was loved. I, I loved running around with girls doing, you know, on, on the sports field and the arts um, and, and singing badly. And then I jump into this profession, this male dominated profession where I, you know, am not surrounded with a a ton of women. And if I am early on in my career, I quickly realized that those women were bringing some sharp elbows with them to, to the newsroom and, Damn, if I didn't have to sharpen my own elbows to be able to, to play ball. By the way, I didn't sharpen my elbows. I have always been a subscriber of abundance mentality and sharing the wealth. I just had to learn very quickly that, you know, in order to throw down my own ladder and be be successful in order to do so, I needed to be very aware of how, you know, that that leaning in mentality was which was warranted at the time, but just didn't really fly for me. And so then I'm very lonely in my 20s and my 30s, right? Career was number one. I was living in small towns in America where my best friend was my pug, my dog. And I just didn't have, you know, girlfriends. I didn't have a huddle. I didn't have happy hour. I was waking up at two in the morning to to anchor a 5 a.m. show. I just, I was very lonely and I was craving a huddle. And so I know a lot of women are feeling that loneliness, which is further exacerbated in a pandemic. So I, like, I feel you. But ultimately, at the ripe age of 38, Caroline, that is the first time I got all of my good girlfriends in the same room. Shame on me. Okay. Shame on me. But ever since then, that also was the beginning of my realizing, like, I need these women to survive, to feel supported, with whom I could show up vulnerably, to share passion, to get advice. I had amazing singular girlfriends, but I had never been intentional about bringing a number of them together. And so, you know, now, literally as a result of writing this book and putting this at the forefront of my life and practicing what I preach. I have developed my own huddle, and through the pandemic, we've only gotten closer. And like, you should see our text chain. It's everything from, you know, are we too old to wear jean shorts? <laughs> to, to, um, you know, the racial reckoning in the wake of the, the George Floyd death in Minneapolis. To how do we talk to our parents about Donald Trump? To everything, to depression and 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 you know, mental health and and everything in between. And so they have really truly helped me survive. And I want to gift that. To women reading this book. And then obviously, certainly within CNN, I have my own women huddles and they know who they are. And, you know, in a male dominated profession such as this, you know, there are certain things that we say where we wink at one another, acknowledging our places, our positions in our fight.
0: You know, what I love about what you just shared is that we really have a responsibility to nurture the huddle, right? It's not just what we bring to the table, but but how we honor and listen and support each other in that huddle. So thank you for that. Yep. And and I love that we've got all of these uh, different words around huddle. So what are some of the best huddlers that you've met as you research for this book? Because the book is so beautiful, and and there is research. I mean, I know you said I'm not a historian, but y- you you did don that hat writing this book. So I want to give
1: you that kudo. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, gosh, I I have all kinds of stories because I wanted to, I just want to, I just, I love, I love stories. I love women and I want to inspire women right now. Like I want to give people hope in the huddle. And so I talked to huddles of women from these 19 black women judges in, in Houston who all huddled and actually, despite what their you know democratic party wanted them to do, this was in the, the the election in 2018 and how they all huddled together in a very unsexy race, if I may, you know, to, to become judges. And, and many of them said to me, you know, Brooke, I could only count on my pinky finger in all of my years as a, as a, as a lawyer, as a public defender, how many black women judges I had ever come in front of. And so their rich story of how they huddled to win Um, the, the history of huddling, certainly within the black community and how they literally huddle from the bench. And they're trying to change the justice system there in Texas to, you know, the WNBA. I love these women because they often don't get the props and the you know, the billboards in the big fancy sponsorship deals that the guys do, but to see how they have come together, not only, and I I nerd out a little bit on the collective bargaining agreement and, and what really they are demanding in terms of just, basic things like showering facilities after they, you know, play a game, but also honoring them when it comes to, you know, social justice issues. Like they got involved, they they huddled and they got involved in the 2020 race, right. And in, in a specific Senate seat in Georgia, they huddled when it came for putting, uh, shining a light on Black women who are killed by police, and specifically Breonna Taylor and the Say Her Name campaign this past season. And I recently was talking to, to Lejae Clarendon, who's the first openly trans player for the WNBA, and she was talking to me about how she's hoping for the next season to huddle to talk about, you know, just just gender issues to educate people on gender issues. I mean, I could I could talk forever on all of these huddles that so inspire me, but it's it's just all in the pages of these book. Um, you know, various, various women and how they've come together to succeed.
0: And there really is a, a huddle movement that you have shined a light on. And, and as you said, you know, it's been happening for generations, but it it seems to me reading your book that women are huddling so intentionally now to make change and some of the things that you just shared. And politically, uh, my perception too is that this is a tool, right? This is a strategy where women can have their collective huddle voices heard. Yeah. Thoughts on that? I, I mean,
1: just to your point about how they're huddling politically to make change, just look at the snapshot of this last year. You look at, you know, black women and how they showed up at the polls and historic numbers, both last November and then again in January in Georgia. And you look at women like Stacey Abrams and Latasha Brown in Georgia. And several other women and women of color who all helped, you know, turn the tables for the Democrats this past year. Or in my book, I interviewed this, the the huddle of the, the badasses is what they call themselves. These Congress, these five moderate Democrat Congresswomen on Capitol Hill who all won and they huddled to to campaign as former. I mean, the resumes are amazing, like former, you know, um, U.S. veterans. Uh, to CIA and how they've all come together and how they are now huddling on the Hill. They were all reelected to, you know, push for legislation fighting for women and women in the military to uh, you know, the, the racial reckoning that's happening in this country. Um, and I know that's like the intersection of activism and politics, but women have been on the front lines. And I talked to the three women co-founders of, of black lives matter. So that's how women really have been huddling politically To make change in this country and continue to do so,
0: I love the badass huddlers. That's fantastic. We need (laughs) swag, right? (laughs) That's good stuff. That's that's
1: the text chain name. Literally, they call themselves the Badasses.
0: Well done. Well done. So from my perception, and and I've huddled on a a local level, certainly over the past several years of things that that I've been passionate about, and I see mothers bringing young daughters, and I see a a very multi-generational landscape of the women that are coming together. But my perception is, and this is my perception, I don't know if this is accurate, that there is a a majority of women who are Gen X or boomer. Is that accurate? Or is that just my perception where I am in the country?
1: Um, it's a great question. And I really didn't look that I didn't look deeply into generational huddlers, But I would say my sense is like the some of the older folks, the wiser, more mature folk, women in America, maybe didn't grow up huddling. I mean I, I will say the caveat to that and one of the professors um who who I who I jumped in, you know, told me that, you know, Betty Crocker wasn't just, you know, making making dinner for her husband, she was hopping the picket fence and, you know, going out. It was quite active, you know, if you think of women who grew up in the 50s, uh, you know, going out and, you know, volunteering with the the League of Women Voters or testifying on on Capitol Hill in front of Congress. But then there it led to this lull which she described as a As a huddle drought, Um, but I think that the younger women and I I end the whole book just telling a story about my my closest girlfriend. Her name is Aki. She's Japanese. She grew up in Japan and also then here. And she has a daughter who just turned fourteen. And you know, it's this whole notion of making sure we're gifting our daughters and our sons, by the way, because we need men in the huddle as well or supporting the huddle, but. You know, making sure that our younger girls are growing up, you know, seeing us huddle and we can model that instead of, you know, the girls being mean to girls. We know our culture loves all of that, as I said off the top, and just making sure that these younger women coming up, that this is a no brainer for them, that they wouldn't sharp elbows,
0: that they instantly want to help one another. Love it. Let's let's wrap with our, our gentlemen colleagues, right? Because I think uh, you and I are of the same mind that, that we need our male allies and, and we also need them in the huddles, right? We need to unify together. But what are your thoughts about how we welcome men in and still protect the sanctity of the women in the huddle? Listen, Men have
1: always had a boys club. They've always looked out for each other, protecting the power and the patriarchy. Right. But I think of my husband, for example, James, and I actually dedicate the book to him because I say something like, you know, thank you, James, for supporting, for always supporting, for being one of the men that always supports the huddle. We have to have our men, our sons, our brothers, our husbands, our fathers holding space for us, right? We, we don't want them to feel threatened by a bunch of women getting together to lean on one another to, to, to create change or just to, to hold space for one another. We need our men to respect it, to understand it, to support it, and to lift us up.
0: Brooke Baldwin, I have learned so much from you. I love, love, love the book. Let me tell our global audience the name. It's called Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But I'm so pleased that you want to give a shout out to the independent bookstores because goodness knows they need it and we all should be supporting them. So however you want to get out there, listeners around the world, get this book. It is extraordinary. And Brooke, I'm grateful for you. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. much. Thank you. You are so welcome. You're so welcome. And if you like the show, global listeners, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review. But let me tell you why. This helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C Higgins, And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.